You might want to silence your phone. Welcome back to Swamp Art. These are your hosts, Chris and Cody. Chris, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're talking about a very historically heavy laden subject that has a lot of like antecedents and economic uh, implications and all kinds of political connotations, all the Asians, and uh, that is painting. But we thought we would begin, and this may be something that we do on future episodes as well, is begin um, the, the episode with a one show that each of us has really been enjoying looking at over the last week or two. And, why and let's we... do paintings. 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 Yeah, painting shows this week. Well, then go ahead. What's, your, what's yours? Um, I am really, really into, uh, there's a painting show of the artist Dalton Gada um, at Gallery Augustina Ferreira. Um, <clears throat> he also just had a show at ICA Miami, even though we dragged that institution on for episode one, I think. We did, but we liked that show. Uh, yeah, I, I love the work. I What I've been kind of thinking about it is that it's like, it's like a side of queer aesthetics that I just don't think that you see in fine art a lot. It's, um, it's very like, for lack of a better word, it's very like cunt, you know, it's cunty. It's like super like, just totally about the fantasy and like full of attitude and fierce. And it has like, it acknowledges fashion and like uh, fetish, um, and the um, like less intellectual, more more like emotional and and maybe even decorative or uh, superficial. Yeah, maybe they're not intellectual, but they're definitely very psychological. What it makes me think of is that, like, uh, John Galliano for um, Christian Dior, I think it's Haute Couture Fall 2000. And it's, like, this fashion show that, like, centers around, like, a family wedding. And so all the kind of characters that are coming out one by one are um, guests of the wedding. So there's... You know, obviously the bride and groom, mother of the bride, the family, performers. And they're all kind of these, like, psycho-Freudian uh, characters. Some of them, you know, some are just, like, super campy. Some are more fetishistic. Um, so it, the, the, the paintings kind of make, make me think of that. Which, if you're referencing... A, a Dior Haute Couture show and your praise of a show of, a, of an art exhibition, then that's probably a good thing. Yeah. And probably not one that you can draw very often. That's also true. Um, I, my, the show that I wanted to chat about really quickly is um, Jill Moletti's show at the Consortium in Dijon, 
which looks like an Dijon. A, which looks like yeah. Can you pass the Dijon? <laughs> looks, Do you have any great Poupon? Looks like a fantastic venue to to view yeah. art. There's a there's a video in which um, she's only speaking in French, so yeah, can't understand any of it um, because I'm such a rube, but. If you if you watch the video, there's like a like the space opens on this fabulous terrace or outdoor square, and it and um, the the uh, the door is like a it's like a fancy garage door almost, or like a sliding door, and it just like opens the entire gallery onto the space, which I think is actually kind of relevant to what her work is because it seems like the paintings that or a lot of the paintings that she makes or chooses to show um are really grounded in not only like her personal biography but also like the 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 spatial biography of the of the galleries in which she in which she's exhibiting like when she showed her work at the um at the Made in LA show at the Huntington Library, um, she was inspired by all of these uh, pieces that were in the that are in the Huntington collection, right. like a painting and a, and a marble sculpture, and they they made her kind of connect these dots in her history with the the place in which she was showing. So all that to say that the show there just looks like kind of a, a just another iteration of of that thought process for her and i i love how specific each each reference for her is when you hear her speak about like why she paints what she paints um it's not a lot of like it's not a lot of jargon and gobbledygook it's really it's it's really insightful about um about history and imagery and politics and all of these things that she weaves together, but but they still have like a universe, like a um, a unifying aesthetic. Like you can you see her hand in all of these paintings. Right, it's a very specific hand. Right, yeah. e even e and and also kind of like a similar ambiance or um, aura. Even, right, even like, like e the color of the lighting. Right, even though like so much seems disparate. Like she'll ha she has like a painting of like a really weird guy with fingerless gloves holding a, a fawn, a spotted fawn, and then in the same room she has like an like a Victorian iron bed with like a dueling. A, a dueling pistol laying on it with and, salt around it. And then like one with alligators. Yeah, just like, uh, just really disparate, but also um, very purely like a product of her mind. And I love, I love that about her work. Uh, so now that we've gone over a couple of painting shows currently that we're into, why don't we talk about like our sorted history with painting from the from the from the beginning of our collecting days um which is something that we didn't respond to immediately when we were collecting uh, at the outset and something and, and paintings are things that that we didn't buy um for years mm -hmm. until after we started 
started collecting? Um, my like introduction to um, like art history was um, like through like pop art and like the pictures generation. So I didn't really have this built in like reverence for painting, nor did I ever really acknowledge um, the difference between those mediums, like from the onset. Yeah. Obviously like painters from those movements did, uh, or artists from those movements did make paintings, um, but it was more about um, images. Right, and I think, uh, I, I mean, I, all, I do think that there is, even though we didn't have that kind of like innate reverence for, for painting as a medium, um, and like at the top of the pyramid um, for art media hierarchies, um, it is something that is ingrained in the art world mm -hmm. and um, something that I think is also kind of um, maybe taught in art school or not necessarily taught, but maybe it's like just absorbed by osmosis as a result of learning a lot about art history um, and having like a really early foundation uh, in art history. But I think w the reason that we, we respond to and still kind of to this day respond to sculpture more than painting is, and something that we've mentioned before, I think, I don't know if it's been on the podcast or like article, an article that we were interviewed in about. the magazine, <laughs> darling. Um, <laughs> I, I, we mentioned that we have always, even since childhood, been really obsessed with, with collecting like objects. Physical objects. Yes. Like. Three-dimensional objects. Yes. And I don't know if it's maybe, maybe a stereotype, like an, even an accurate stereotype of being, being queer, um, to be obsessed with collecting things, but I think it might be. And you know what's funny? I thought about this the other mm -hmm. day when I was thinking about um, queer people's obsession with objects. I had this really good friend, you know him, in, in college who um, is is a drag queen. And he his obsession with collecting was DVDs. He had... Oh, my God. Which is like... So boring. Okay, but it's a very specific <laughs> kind of thing. Like, right. He was really obsessed with going to like like half price like books compulsive. compulsive yeah he would want all of his favorite shows on dvds he would go so far as to like i mean everybody had dvds but he mm -hmm. would so for example mine were always kept out of the box and scratched trashed, yeah <laughs> really broken in half I, yeah uh-huh chewed up <laughs> His were obviously pristine, and so he, for example, he had the whole series of Charmed uh -huh. on DVD, at box set, and every season, and he had typed up every a list of all the Charmed episodes, put them in a special bag, cut them each out individually, and he would leave them with the DVDs and pull out an episode to watch. That's how he would decide the TV that he was going to watch that night, was he would pull out one of those slips of paper from that bag of the 200 Charmed episodes he, oh, he cut out. Oh, my God. So it's, it's while everyone does, have like, covets objects in, like, in any capitalist society, um, I, there is another level of, of object obsession that I think queer people 
are drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's if it's just because it's a way of controlling your environment when you don't feel like you have as much control. Right. Um, and that may be true of other like marginalized groups, but it certainly has been an ongoing theme with the people with the queer people that I have been friends with and intimate with right. over the last twenty years of my life. And then also and then life. also queer artists who um, we, we 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 like now. Yeah, for me it was more like I mean, I was obviously obsessed with like trinkets and toys and things, but for me it was always like setting them up and like displaying them and like presenting them. Um, and I and I see a lot of like queer artists doing that as part of their fine art practice. Right, right. Well, um, part of the things, part part of the phenomenon of painting that we have kind of, um, and that has been gone over and over ad nauseum in the art world over the last 40, 50 years, um, is the death of painting and the revival mm-hmm. of painting mm-hmm. and. You know, for, I think conceptual art, sculpture, installation became really popular, like, late 80s, 90s, 2000s, early 2000s. And maybe that's why we are seeing, since 2010 or 2005 or whenever mm-hmm. you want to begin, um, maybe that's why we're seeing, like, a renaissance uh, in, in, in paintings popularity with, like zombie figuration, zombie Mm -hmm. abstraction before Mm -hmm. it, um, and why we feel like we have to address painting as, uh, like, a a category unto itself for a fucking podcast episode. (laughs) Like, there's a reason that it's, it's, it's in vogue right now. Yeah, oh my god, I know, and I, like, feel so insecure. Like, I'm like, oh my god, I don't have enough paintings. Uh, I have to have more paintings. Right. And like, we don't have, do we have an oil painting or is it just like acrylic or is it on panel? You know, it's all this, like, it's all these qualifiers that you feel kind of burdened with probably as an artist, as an institution collecting work, as a collector. As an art dealer. Yeah, as a dealer. Uh, Uh, I just am, I still don't. Sure, maybe I have more of a reverence for painting because it's been drilled into my mind now. But when I'm looking for art, it is so rarely, uh, it's so rarely painting are, are the things that I like. We have a, um, we have a friend who like I'm always getting into debates with about abstract painting because he loves abstract painting, and we've tried to get him on the show, Tyler Blackwell. Um, <laughs> he refuses, Drag he refuses to be associated with this podcast, but it's like, I don't blame him, but it's like, I'm like, I also hate most figurative painting too. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, yeah, it's just not the medium for me. I think that like sculpture, photography, video performance, um, or wh- who I, the artists that I really find the most interesting are artists who are working across many of those mediums. And, or when I'm in a museum or, or a gallery, um, I think that exhibitions that have, you know, all of those, uh, you know, various mediums present are way more interesting than just like a nice painting show. 
Yeah, you know what? You know, that's kind of, it, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that because I was thinking about Jacoby Satterwhite earlier in in this in, in this like painting soup conversation that we're having and because he's, he's just one, recently previously returned to painting right and yeah. he's one of our all-time favorite artists and yeah one of the maybe most, the most brilliant uh, the person most, i've ever talked to yeah the most moving video work i mean just uh, well we love martin sims too but uh jacoby's videos are amazing yeah he's his he's incredible but it feels like so he showed paintings recently at at the at the studio museum residency finale show like the closing of the residency mm -hmm. and we were like kind of nonplussed by them and felt like maybe they were a little bit unresolved or we just like couldn't find an entry but i do get the feeling maybe that he I don't know, did he feel, do you think artists feel pressure to make paintings to make something more marketable? Because I think the other, the other obvious side of this, of this issue and the history of painting over the last 50 years is that the more, it seems like the more and more um, money in, in, and investing flows in, into the art market and art becomes more commodified painting becomes more popular mm. i mean there wasn't nearly the the amount of um like the market cap of the art of of the art world's you know collective business enterprise was has has exponentially increased since 2010 mm -hmm. so and as has the prevalence of painting at auction and on you know on gallery walls and in articles uh, uh, um, related to the art market and related to you know art history, um, recent art history, so I think that there really is that pressure, and it's and it leads to a lot. It leads to a lot of um, like confusion and also maybe a, some 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 terrible art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, th well, there was that article on Freeze, where I, well, I don't. It was like a discussion between some Freeze editors, um, that you know. It was a wrap up, right? They, like, yeah, like, they kind of blamed of the, the um, you know, the very painting heavy uh, year or two that the galleries have had on COVID, and you know, making sure they're 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 putting stuff, mounting exhibitions that are guaranteed to sell because the times were so uncertain, uh, which is, I mean, I don't know. It seems like everyone got richer during the pandemics from what I can tell. But maybe that's why. Uh, but they did point out a lot of like really great conceptual artists and sculptors. Um, <clears throat> and Yeah, that are kind of maybe pushing the boundaries of their Yeah, practice. and their, 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 their prediction was that uh, the galleries would start to refocus and on that kind of work, uh, and maybe already have. Um, but do you, I think that might be. I think that's true. And maybe I mean, I, 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 I don't want to like impose that perspective on the previous Whitney Biennial curators. But if you if you kind of compare the twenty seven or the twenty nineteen Biennial mm -hmm. with um 
the list of artists that was just released for the 2022 biennial, there are almost no painters. Yeah, there's like two painters. So can... perhaps there really is like, as as these editors were, were kind of pontificating, mm. perhaps there is like a, a, a um, like a small uh, bit of revulsion that people have. It's a reaction for sure. Right. But it's like, that's just art history, don't you think? Yeah, but I, I, but I'm, all I'm saying is maybe that is part, one, one of the answers to this increased commodification of the art object and, um, the, and, and the flow of, of dark money into the art world. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, the, you know, the hope of, um, of less financially interested, more emotionally and intellectually invested people in the art world is to turn away from discrete objects mm-hmm. and, and practice and turn towards practices that are more difficult, more challenging to consume. Um, and, you know, that, that, that could be like a salve to my one of my biggest complaints with the art art world over the last few years, which is like the insane amount of money that has kind of tainted seems to have tainted um, such a sacred place for us. But do you feel like maybe the bian- the new biennial is a could be that that starting point or a, or an inflection point? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't like to try to predict the future too much, but what, you know, you can usually see things more clearly once they have passed rather than being in the moment, you know, like when you try to define a generation during the generation, it's a lot harder. Yeah, but like... Or during the present moment. I, I think that not just painting, but figurative painting, I think that one reason why that has become so popular is with like collectors and galleries and you know art viewers is i think that there's just more artists making that kind of work i think that more there's more artists who are thinking about um identity that's a very like kind of that's very current with the times with the political environment i think there are more people thinking about identity whether it's race gender sexuality you know, where you come from, there are more young people, you know, these emerging artists that have been taking off in the last couple of years. That's what they're thinking about. And so that's why I think that they are choosing to make figurative paintings. Maybe. And maybe that's a, maybe that's, you know, I think it has been a great thing to have like more um, representation of, of minority imagery in, and representations of of minority figures in painting. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think it's a net positive for sure. And it's definitely something that should be here to stay, obviously, given how um, uh, terribly unrepresented the art world has been for the you know last couple centuries or right. millennia um, in the West. Uh, but it also does mean that that proliferation of minority imagery is 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 built from a desire for an investment vehicle right 
You know, it's 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 just a double-edged sword. Well, it's also these things have been in and out of vogue before. Yeah. You that's know what true. I mean? Like it, it, there's always been every couple of years it's the it's diversity day. You know, and then it's like everything else seems to go back to normal uh, after diversity day. Yeah. Um, were you, uh, here's, here's a topic that we've touched on, but I want to maybe delve more into what did you think about the, the list of, of artists in the Whitney Biennial in the, in the quiet as it's kept proposal for their, their 2022 iteration? Uh, well, I was really mostly thrilled that I was so unfamiliar with many of the artists. Uh, these things are so hard to predict. There was like some artists that I thought, you know, <clears throat> that I was thinking like, oh, this artist is totally going to be in the next Whitney Biennial or like Venice or something. I was wrong. Many of these artists, like I said, I've never heard of. I so you know the these biennials are always um, an interesting uh, way to discover new artists. But it also like I'm just looking at the list here and like seeing like a, 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 a Nayland Blake, you know, who's a much older artist um, on this list. That to me, that's also interesting. Um, also like Jason Rhodes, who is dead. I can't remember in recent years, the Whitney Biennial, including, uh, non-living artists. Um, I could, I, I could be mistaken, but I thought that it was, I always thought the Whitney Biennial was really kind of for living American artists. Well, I think it's clear that it's, it's from a lot of the press about it, that it, it certainly skews female and older, older artists. Right. Um, but that's great. I mean, like, Jesse Homer French, who's a painter that's been working for many, many decades, um, an older artist who makes these incredible, fairly small-scale paintings of mostly, I think mostly really of California, but of the California landscape. But they're often, um, they're, they have kind of a an outsider art quality to them as the plane, the picture plane, is really flattened. But they're they're very yeah. touching and yeah, they're, they're beautiful. They're quite um uh they're quite singular. Do they show very small fires? Yes. Yeah. And I think um one another gallery that I'm I'm blanking on. But um for example, that's an artist who I was super thrilled to see who's older, hasn't had their due yet, in my opinion. Um and there's lots of other artists like like for example Regardless of what we think about the work, Rick Lowe from Houston, who is the founder right. of, of Project, Row, Project Houses. Row Houses in Houston here, is on the list. And it's following his recent, the recent announcement that he's going to be represented by Gagosian. Right. Which is an interesting phenomenon. Um, yeah. I, no one was more shocked that that happened than I was. I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah, because... I mean, he's like a darling of the community here in Houston and and is also, you know, has been, you know, recognized on a national level historically for his work with Project Row Houses. But I didn't... I just didn't see, like, him making a return to uh, making objects was just going to take off as crazy as it did because 
he had his first show of drawings um, in like 20 years uh, of not making physical objects. Um, I think it was just like maybe four years ago when he first started showing them again. So, yeah. It's yeah, weren't bizarre. you like, didn't you help hang that show? Yeah, I, I well, you know, <laughs> I pretended to. In another life. I, I worked for a gallery that showed his work here in Houston, yes. And you're on the board of a, of, a, of, a, of a non-profit organization that showed, that did a solo show of his work. Yeah, well, he received an award from Art League Houston, uh, the Texas Artist of the Year Award, which was that part, I wasn't shocked that he got that as an accolade. He is an important Texas artist. I'm just shocked that um, the things he are make the things he is has been making are suddenly commod being commodified by um, galleries and collectors at the top level but of that's, the um, you know financial sphere. But that's part and parcel of exactly what we're talking about with painting and the commodification of painting. For example, so well, so that show that he was curated into at uh, Gagosian was a show that was built around, uh, I think, a number of very, very uh, popular and increasingly expensive black artists by a black curator. And it, it, it comes on the heels of and in the midst of a lot of a number of other shows where galleries uh, are um, what's the word? I guess redis rediscovering minority imp very significant but like completely forgotten uh, minority artists and are making a an insane amount of money off of them. Mm -hmm. And like for example, Steve Mnuchin, Mnuchin right. or well. I don't know if his, his first name is Steve, but Mnuchin Gallery, which is a, an in, insanely uh, successful, very stuffy, old gallery that mm -hmm. is owned by the father of Donald Trump's Treasury Secretary mm -hmm. and has been instrumental over the last couple decades in reviving David and, Hammonds, and, right? And create well, David Hammonds and a ton of other uh, uh, very, very um, significant but under underknown black artists that right. he has. He he'll show at his gallery and then jack up the prices up, mm -hmm. you know, to seven figures, and then they become commodities. And obviously, but don't you think the artists would rather have it that way? Totally, because they're making money, and all artists want to make. Everyone likes money. You know what I mean? Totally. However, I think that the, there's a crossroads in the art world where we can go that route and decide to embrace, like, all of the crazy financial, uh, like, all the dealings and all the, all, the, all the commodification and all the easy consumption. And then there's the other road, which I think that the Whitney Biennial this year is proposing, which is maybe a more utopian, pie-in-the-sky kind of yeah. idea, but, mm -hmm. but also kind of maybe where I would rather see the art world go. Yeah, totally. I think that's a really good note to end this, this conversation on. 
Yeah, agree. Uh, we might t- uh, we might make a part two. We Ma- right. Maybe we can have Tyler on. <laughs> uh, Girl, now, this is the peer pressure. Um, anyway, uh, until next time. Thank you. And we'll. See you again. Yeah. Oh, and like this, like, I mean, I don't know how you do it. I don't ever listen to, I don't listen to other people's podcasts. Honey, print this out, but, put it on a billboard, uh, but, staple it to your, but, your local light post. Yeah. I mean, like whatever, or however you do it, like, subscribe, leave a comment, rate it, share it something okay we're 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 we don't we don't have a the budget for a pr team for this so anyway thank you this has been swamp art bye